The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed on this episode belong solely to the speaker and do not reflect the views of the speaker's employers, organizations, associated groups, or any sponsors of Mind and Design. While we are interested in moving the discussion of mental health forward and normalizing these topics, we are not mental health professionals. And more importantly, we're not your mental health professionals. If you're suffering from a mental health crisis, contact your doctors, call 911 for an emergency, or contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline 24 hours a day at 1-800-273-8255. We've just got one question left and it's pretty open-ended and it's just basically, do you have any advice for somebody who is maybe has some leadership qualities and they're starting to emerge into leadership or senior roles in their career? Um, what would you tell them? Well, I look back on myself. <laughs> I'd say, number one, don't be a jerk. Um, be open to things. Uh, at the flip side, be strong in your convictions. And I just had this happen with a client of mine where they we presented something. Uh, we presented five different directions. And I, they said, no, we're going to do this. And it was totally outside of what we presented. And what I got back was a, a piece of paper with a drawing scribbled on it. And it happened on a Friday afternoon. I took off early, actually. We went and listened to some music, um, my wife and I. And I got that, and I was just like, I was pissed all weekend. And I was like really pissed. And I have a, I have a great relationship with this client. And on Monday, we talked, and I said, listen, I'm kind of pissed about this because, you know, we sent you five great directions they look awesome and it's doing everything that you want. And you come back to me with this, you know, I didn't say stupid ass, but I said, this isn't, I said, this is not professional. And if I was teaching college, I would give the, the student an F in what you're, you're asking for. And I, I pushed back and she goes, whoa, you're kind of pissed at me. I go, yeah, I am. And she's like, whoa, you've never done this before. I go, yeah, I know. I go, I'm not going to be like this. And when I push back on something, you know, I'm like, I'm like upset about it. And you've gone way outside of your realm here. And she goes, I can, I can see that now. And so we had a good talk about it. It was very, very good. And we moved, we were able to move forward and things like that. But to me, it's like, I think emerging creative leaders, um, one of my great creative leaders said, you know, let them have the, let them have the coupon ad, but really stand up for the broadcast, the, the TV campaign, you know? Yeah. It's uh, kind of like learning how to pick your battles. Yes. Learning how to pick your battles. You know, you can't do it every day. Um, and, and make sure that your staff knows it too. Don't do it. And don't, you know, we all know, don't, uh, don't fight the battle with your superior in front of the staff, but the staff usually knows what's going on, you know, and come back and tell the staff, well, this is what happened. This is why it can't move forward. 
but what about if we did this, this, and this? So um, don't hog everything. And I'm probably guilty of that. And early in my career as a, as a, as a creative director, you know, let everybody else do the work. I remember the day I finally, it just kind of dawned on me one day and I don't know what happened. Some of my staff were in a meeting, they were doing, you know, they were creating. And I was busy probably in a, an exciting accounts receivable meeting or something like that. And uh, I had to go check on something. And I just stuck my head in. I go, what's going on in here? And they're going, oh, we're doing this and this and this and we're doing this. And I go, okay. And I closed the door and I walked away and I go, holy crap, they're doing the work without me. This is great. I don't need to be in there doing it. And it was really enlightening to me at that point where I realized I don't have to be on top of everything. All I need to do is check in, give direction. If they're off, recorrect and, and, and you know, do something else, you know, and move forward. And if there's something I'm going to work on, I'm going to work on it, you know, and just tell them this is what I'm going to work on. Um, the other things I would say is know your business whatever your business is in, whatever business you're in. If you're, you work for a university, understand how the university works. And then even more minutiae, understand how the, the university makes money or the business makes money or the ad agency makes money. All those things. When you, you know, the old saw is uh, follow the money. And when you know how money is made for the organization that you work for, then that will lead you to be a better creative leader because you can say, guys, guys, that's all well and good. It's great creative, but it's totally irrelevant to what we need to do here. Because at the end of the day, you have to keep the lights on. You said it a few minutes ago, Stephanie. Um, and then let's see. Well, I, I, this comes back to, I, I have scribbled down here. Don't do creative bullshit. Um, Make sure it always comes back to the strategy. Make sure it always comes back to what is the objective that we're doing today or the, of the project. Uh, there is a, a fine line, you know, of walking the tightrope across, you know, creative, you know, creative crap, you know, and you, the best creative walks on that tightrope of, you know, poetry and art and business, you know, and, uh, you know, how do you how do you cross that? And, and uh, you know, that's the best work you can do. Oh, but always have a reason of why it makes sense. And, and they, right. I remember my my I go back to my partner all the time because he's the smartest guy I've ever worked with. And, you know, he would say, you're the weirdest creative director I've ever seen or worked with because you're always thinking about the business side of it. And I'm like, oh, you don't want me to? He goes, no, 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 do that. It's helping. It, you know, it, it puts us all, <laughs> it all puts us together. He was, you know, he was management, he was the management and the money guy. He understood the creative aspect of it. And even though I was the creative guy, I understood the research and the strategy and the money side of it. And uh, he and I still work together, even though he runs an agency um, I hire him some time to do work for me and he hires me some time to do work for them. So, uh, you know, always have a reason and, you know, know those other things, know what the business is. Don't hog everything, inspire people. 
Don't be a jerk. So. I, th- I think those are some pretty solid words of wisdom. Okay. I think so too. Um, just to add another thing to that though, because there is something one of my students had taught me, um, which was not to impress your own experiences onto them. And the reason for that is because everyone will experience the field differently. Yes. And to push your own, like, especially in my experience, like, I was in freelance, I was into contract, and then I burned out. That does, That's not going to always happen for everybody, right. especially my level of burnout and the way I experience it. So I had to learn to quit saying, you should, you could, because this might happen. I, I now tell them, I don't know where you're going to go or anything like this. This is just what we have to do in this experience, and this is how it will benefit you in your future. Right. For what it is. And, and, and I'm at a point in my career where, you know, and my ex-partner, I don't know. I'm, see, I'm talking about him too much because that's my <laughs> past experience. But he and I get together about once every other month, and we just call it two old guys having drinks, bitching about the past, you know, or bitching about the future and talking about the past. But uh, man, story of my life. <laughs> <laughs> and you're young, right? So. But I spiritually, I feel like a grumpy old person. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. No, Stephanie and I are on the phone almost every night. Yeah. So I, I um, think, you know, I think just talking, setting an environment, you know, and I think what you're doing right here is helping you. I hope, you know, I would think that's the whole purpose here, helping you inspire your people as well as inspiring you to figure out oh, yeah. how I push the boulder up the hill even more with, you know, administrators and people, you know, accountants and, you know, CPAs and people are just looking at, you know, uh, admissions, you know, right. It's, it's funny because, so I also have experience teaching. I, uh, right before, or I guess right after Watkins, um, art college got acquired by Belmont, I wound up doing not like a tenured or a, um, adjunct, not even adjunct, but working for their community ed program and just doing like a couple nights a week virtually teaching graphic design classes. And I loved it. And I've TA'd before, like at one of my old internships and one of my early jobs right out of college. And mentoring is awesome. And it's so easy. <laughs> like it's so convenient because everybody thinks it is such an admirable thing to do because it is. But at the same time, like the thing I keep telling people is like, yeah, it's great, but I promise you there's a, as much selfish motivation here oh, yeah. as there is selfless because it keeps me sharp and it keeps me, you know, it's it's like finding whatever your side outlet is that's going to keep you, your brain lubricated creatively during the day at everything else. Like, how do I do something on the side that I, that's not going to make me completely burn out? And teaching and mentoring and being in a leadership role definitely fulfills that, in my opinion. Right, right. I mean, the best way to learn is to teach. And, mm-hmm. you know, to me, that's why I love teaching as well is because, you know, you get so much energy back in the room, uh, you know, uh, of whoever you're teaching. And I, I was for years also uh, a mentor at the Entrepreneur Center in Nashville. And I just love doing that. Uh, that so that's how you know Mark Montgomery. I used one of my mentors and one yeah. of my bosses right out of school was Mark Montgomery. Yeah, yeah, that's uh that that was that's no Mark. I knew Mark more from W O Smith Music School. He's on the board there, 
as mm-hmm. I have been. And then he and I kind of knew each other. And then we both had a bad experience together. Uh, his was worse than mine. And that involves uh, cancer in our wives. So. Yeah, yeah, that's a pretty terrible thing. I'm sorry to hear that you have a similar lived experience there. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that's Mark was the one he kept saying, you should get involved in this entrepreneur center. <laughs> and there was somebody else, and I can't remember who that was. They were just like pushing me daily to get involved. And I finally did. And of course, Mark and the other guy who I cannot remember now, they left, you know, as soon as I started getting involved. But uh, and I'm sorry, Stephanie, what is your name? I just see I'm Stephanie. Very- sorry. My name is Stephanie Reef. And okay. and I think, yeah, we definitely have have similar crossover in the, you know, entrepreneurial and music business sort of circles, I think. I don't know specifically who was involved in the entrepreneur center that you're thinking of, but I, for a while there, I was Mark's um, executive assistant. So I, okay. I could probably list off half a dozen dudes and it might be one of them. I'm trying to think who that was. And they were just really on me about. It wasn't Ernest Chapman, was it? No, I know who Ernest is. I know he's one of uh, Mark's yeah. right hand person. He and I are Facebook friends. I don't know him except from Facebook. And because he's a musician as well, Mm -hmm. and I'm a bad musician, or as my wife says, still a wannabe. (laughs) Isn't that all musicians? Yeah, I guess. I don't know. Sorry. I I just, I, I, I worked in part of the music business industry, and I've lived in Nashville for 15 years now, so I feel like I've earned my right to make fun of musicians as often as I can. That's that's fine. It doesn't bother me. I make fun of musicians, too. That's probably why I'm not a musician is because uh, I can't stand being around very many musicians. You know, that's a valid concern. A hundred percent. So anything else? I was going to go back and. Yeah, maybe I was going to go back um, on background. If you wanted anything more specific than me, just saying I've worked in a lot of ad agencies. Um, yeah, yeah I mean. Tell okay. us, uh, tell us generally the sort of client okay. rosters or at least like the industries that you okay. wound up working I'll, for. And most. I'll use a few. I'm going to drop a few names. Uh, I started my career in St. Louis at an agency called TBWA Shiat Day. And uh, which if you know anything about the agency business, TBWA and Shiat Day are two of the biggest names in the world. And yeah. uh, I started there but it was not a good place uh, at the time. And I was recruited away to another, a large agency in St. Louis, um, which was owned by a company called an agency called Wellsrich Green, which was one of the best well-known agencies in the world from the sixties until they went out of business. And it was called Gardner advertising and everybody, I did not know this when I worked there, but I was, at a uh, American Marketing Association and the speaker there was talking about Jack Daniels. And I said, at, afterwards, I said, I used to work on Jack Daniels at the Gardner agency in St. Louis. And they go, you worked at Gardner? And I go, yeah. He goes, well, I was part of the creative team for Mad Men development team along with another guy. And I go, yeah. So he goes, Mad Men is actually uh, developed around Gardner advertising in St. Louis. And I've only watched Mad Men like three times. I thought it was boring. And I was also like, 
I don't, I don't care to, you know, work all day and night, come home and watch TV and watch the same thing over and over. Except, <laughs> except I will say, yes, we did have a drink cart that went down the hallway. Uh, people smoked pot in their office on the creative floor only. Uh, there were a lot of, uh, affairs in the office and we were pretty much crazy as shit. Um, at those, at, at the first agency where I was, I worked on the first, uh, cellular phone account in the U S and, uh, which was very, very interesting. My, I remember the owner, the, the boss of that office came in and said, we just got the most important piece of business any ad agency will ever get. And we go, what is it? He goes, we thought it was like cure for cancer. He said, we just got an account for a phone you can use in your car and walk, use it walking down the sidewalk. And everybody, you know, somebody in the room says, well, you guys probably don't know who Cannon is, the, the detective. Well, Cannon has one of those in his car. And, you know, you don't <laughs> need one on the sidewalk because there are things called phone booths. And... Um, Man, I bet some of those proofs would be hilarious right now. Yeah. Um, and so can I, oh, sorry, let me back you up. I don't mean to butt in, but you said something that kind of stuck out to me. You were talking about, uh, Shia Day and how it was just like a bad place. And as a creative professional, like when you said that phrase, like I viscerally felt it. I knew exactly the kind of place that you're talking about. And me having that internal very strong reaction made me think, huh, I would love I, – I don't I don't know that I've ever heard somebody really break down exactly what goes into a bad workplace like that, whether it's agency or just a creative team elsewhere. But tell me – tell me like what, what makes a bad workplace? I Not necessarily that bad, place. I, I shouldn't say it was a bad place. It was my first job. Um, I didn't know anything. That was the place where I had a creative director that just didn't do much creative or do much direction. Um, the owner of that office, he and I got along really well and other people, you know, we got along pretty well. Um, I was just kind of left to my own devices and we didn't really have teams. We were just kind of, uh, you know, Hey, here's something, do this. And, you know, you were just, you know, shoved in a corner and there was a lot of work. I will say it was good in some sense because I did so much frickin' work that I learned a lot and I was left to my own devices and I just had to learn. I'm like, how do you do this? I don't know. Just go ahead and do it. I mean, I did um, over 200 radio spots a year and 100 TV spots a year. And I would write them and produce them all on my own. And, you know, just through the, you know, law of volume, there was some good stuff that I did. And so um, that was probably that was the probably the main thing. The creative director just he was not. And everybody it wasn't just me. Everybody said the same thing. So uh, at the at Gardner Advertising, I worked on all national accounts, mainly Ralston Purina. Uh, I did one legendary television spot, which if you look it up, you will find it on YouTube as a legendary TV spot called Chuck Wagon. And I did the last Chuck Wagon TV spot ever done. And it's if you know what Chuck Wagon is, a little 
cowboy chuck wagon comes out and goes across Gosh. in front of a dog and the dog chases it. Oh and God. I've got Google images pulled up and this is rich. This is amazing. And the one, the very last one that was ever done was it's called up the wall and the wagon goes up the wall and across the ceiling and then down the wall and the dog chases it. And that year, 1987, it was the most expensive television commercial made in the world. It cost $250,000 and it took from October till April to produce it. So that's amazing. Um, and I learned a lot of really good stuff working in that, in that environment because we just, we work on Jack Daniels. We worked on Ralston, uh, puppy chow dog, you know, all these major, you know, national brands from there. I went to an agency in Jacksonville, Florida, which was not a very good agency. I only stayed there less than a year, went to an agency in uh, Tampa, which is where the lunatics ran the asylum. All these, all us young kids. Um, it's no longer around, unfortunately, but almost everybody from that agency, we were all 28, you know, the 32 at the time, everybody, every single person went on to an incredible, uh, advertising career. I'll say that and I'll kind of include myself in that too. Um, I moved up here to work for an agency out of Virginia called Lawler Ballard, which was one of the creative, uh, strong, you know, strongholds of, of the United States at that time. They were based in Norfolk and had six agents, six offices around the country, and they had just started one here. And I was hired to come up here and, you know, help them set the tone for here. Uh, we were bought for, by a larger agency, which was actually kind of good. But then they started closing a lot of the offices and they asked me to move to Atlanta and be a creative director down there, but I didn't want to go because of the person who was the create my, who my boss would have been down there. who was known throughout the agency agency business as not a nice person. So I said, no. And I worked for another local, the, the big local agency here at the time for about a year. But what was happening is my, all my, not all, several of my clients, from my previous agency kept asking me to do freelance work for them. And I said, well, this is stupid. So I got enough business and went out on my own and uh, started my own agency and did that for uh, just about 10 years. And then, I don't know, this business really wears you down, I will say that. And I was probably at that point. I understand, uh, you know, why famous people don't like being famous. Not that I was famous. I was famous in a little way. Uh, but, you know, you, you, you're trying to live up to a certain level and you work at a certain level for a long time. And that just is very, very wearing. Uh, the other yeah. thing was and, we and people expect you to be on all the time. Yes. Yeah. And it just, it yeah. just wore you down wears you down. And we also lost a huge account, our biggest account. And my partner and I looked at each other and we said, all right, we're going to, we can mortgage the houses. We can, we have to cut staff. We have to do all this, or we can take the money that we've made and, you know, close up and move on. And that's what we decided to do, which was the right decision. Um, yeah. And I worked just as a consult. Some of my clients stayed with me and I was just on my own with just a few other people. And then, uh, 
2006, I worked, I was brought in to help turn an agency around here locally. And it was, that was a time where it was me plus 80, 80 other people. It was me against 80 people every day, uh, literally, um, because I was brought in to turn things around. But oh, that's a lot. I, no one wanted to turn things around. Um, yeah. And then I left that and was on my own for quite a long time. And then uh, just a few years ago, I helped merge two agencies, one from their base in Jacksonville with a digital agency here in Nashville. And uh, we lost our biggest account. And so most of the highest paid staff went out the door as well. But that's I don't know. I'm doing better now and I enjoy life better now than I was when I was running that office. And uh, and I make more money, too. And I work when I work. And my dog is usually sitting right there. <laughs> so, That's a pretty big perk. So, but in, and in between there, I was teaching. I I did stints. I think I did three stints teaching. Two at uh, two at uh, O'More, and one at Belmont. And I was asked to go to MTSU a couple of years ago, and I was just like, I love teaching, but it was too far away. And teaching, and boy, is that a that's a real time suck. Yeah, I mean, I know I was a pain in the ass. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, Kevin, I want to thank you for again being on the show. Um, the bigger thing is, uh, you know, connecting everybody to some of these uh, professionals who can also just talk about, you know, their experience when it comes down to mental health. Because I think we're all, we all know we're feeling it. Like, I don't think, I think saying it over and over and over, it's like, yes, we know, we know, we know, we know. We do not need bolded type to say that we are all exhausted and tired, but it's just a matter is like, I think it's a collective. I think hearing your story, you know, there is a lot of different things that people can pull away from, especially when it comes to leadership. And, you know, I think for Stephanie and I, it's, we're starting to learn in our fields on what kind of leaders we want to be. Because sometimes when you do have bad leadership, not saying I do, but when you do have leadership that isn't like uh, isn't connecting with you, um, you start to kind of learn on what it is I want to do and what it is I don't want to do. And, yeah, uh, and and even good leaders like nobody's perfect. You know, I think everyone has room for improvement, and even just like certain leadership styles can teach you a lot about what works for you and what doesn't at all. Uh, and. Yeah. I've got to get going in just a few minutes and just a, like a couple of minutes, but I'll, you can shove this in anywhere, but uh, cut it and put it in anywhere or not use it at all. But the one thing I would say is after you've been a leader or once you're a leader, you really have empathy for other leaders. Um, mm-hmm. And I would say to younger people, Hey, cut your leaders a break when you're looking up. Because there are there are things going on that you don't know and you don't understand and stuff like that. Um, so once you're in that position and all of a sudden people are looking up at you, it's like, holy crap. And there's other forces working on you. And then, so just imagine what it's like the next person up from you. And uh, right. I, I, I do counsel younger people. I said, yeah, that's interesting or whatever. But 
give that person a break, no matter how tough it is, give that person a break a little bit. So. Well, thank you, Kevin, for being on. Um, you know, Thanks. this is, I'm glad that you're here. I mean, again, it's been a while. Yeah. Um, you know, this is Mind Plus Design, and uh, we'll see you guys in a little bit, or you'll hear from us in a little bit. Whatever uh, means of senses that you um, tune in, well, uh, yeah, soon. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. It was good talking. Bye. All I right. gotta go. Bye. Have a good one. This episode of Mind and Design was created and distributed with Anchor. Big thanks to Anchor for providing an easy platform to create and share with the world on. If you're interested in starting your own podcast, fire up a browser window and hit up anchor.fm to check it out.